Welcome to Hit Subscribe. I'm your host, Chase Alderson, Growth Marketing Manager at Recharge. Paul Rogers and Josh Duggan, co-founders of the agency Vervant, have worked with big brands like Lush, Pangaea, and Bulletproof Coffee. We chat about the current state of paid search and discuss tactics to help scale a small or large program. We also talk about CRM auditing and why it's important to segment audiences so Facebook and Google can return the best results. Paul and Josh also share their work in UX improvements focused around cross-sells and upsells for subscription merchants and tie it all together with emphasis on how each piece of a brand strategy impacts the next. So let's get started. So Josh and Paul, thank you guys for joining us. Why don't we do a quick intro? Paul, you go first. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, my name is Paul Rogers. I run a company called Vivant with Josh, my co-founder, um, and I run the e-commerce side. So we essentially do e-commerce consultancy with a big focus on kind of technology selection. Um, we do a lot of kind of uh, professional services around replatforming as well. So kind of project management, solutions, consulting, uh, BA work. Um, we work cross-platform, so Magento, Shopify, Salesforce. Uh, Shopify and Magento are probably our biggest two, but we also work with big commerce a little bit and some of the kind of newer best-of-breed solutions as well. Um, and then on top of that, we also do a lot around kind of customer experience generally and CRM um, and some of the other areas of e-com. Cool. And uh, so I'm Josh Duggan. So I run the paid side of Avant, um, co-founded Avant with Paul three years ago. So everything we do on the paid side is essentially biddable media. So we do a lot of Google shopping, Google search, much more paid social. So we'll probably talk a lot on that today, but it's been a massive growth for us as part of the agency. Um, some Amazon, Pinterest, YouTube, um, and kind of like any form of biddable media, essentially. And then some of the, um, I've introduced like some of the brands we work with include people like the Pangaea, uh, Muji, Lush, uh, Joseph Joseph, uh, the Comrade Shop, um, Sunspell, Alexa Chung, uh, Bulletproof, various others. Love it. Love it. So excited. Um, today's going to be a little different. Um, we're going to talk uh, a bit more technical and kind of go behind the scenes. Um, as you two both mentioned, we're going to jump into some paid media, some paid search, um, talk about CRM and talk about some UX stuff. So hopefully for our audience, it's going to be a bit different than what we usually talk about, um, but I'm excited. So let's hop right in. Um, let's start with this paid media, paid search. Give us just a quick definition for that, just so everyone's on the same page. Yeah, great. So, um, so paid, paid media is essentially kind of like any form of paid advertising. So typically now it's just refers to digital and of which the biggest channels, are obviously Google, uh, Facebook, which obviously owns interest as, uh, sorry, um, Instagram as part of that. And, uh, and then slowly there's a lot of new kind of like platforms joining the mix. So TikTok obviously being the most notable Snapchat a couple of years ago. Um, and then Amazon's a pretty big player as well. Um, but yeah, Pinterest. essentially, paid media. I love Pinterest. <laughs> yeah, I've recently downloaded Pinterest and I'm a big fan. So, uh, but yeah, so they're, they're like the main channels which encompass it essentially. We'll hop into Pinterest later. I'm really curious to see your boards and all the fun things you're pinning on there. Yeah, I love well, it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's give us an overview? What is kind of the current state of paid search? Obviously, we're we're hopefully near the end of this pandemic. There's a lot of things that have been moving and changing and adapting. A um, lot of new brands entering this paid search world. What's what's the current state of this? Yeah, great question. So, so, so at a top level, I guess um, like a lot of brands are now moving to more digital, um, like digital first approach. So uh, like with stores being closed, Google search is a pretty big channel and a big opportunity for a lot of retailers. So across our clients, 
we've seen a big kind of increase in investment, um, not only across paid media, but also across anything sort of from a digital perspective, like a lot of investment into the site. Um, and it's just becoming a big focus um, for a lot of brands. And then just in terms of where the industry is, Google's pretty saturated. So it's a pretty, it's been around for a long time. Uh, there's a lot of advanced kind of tactics. So you can essentially change the ad messaging based on the weather. Um, you might adjust how aggressive you are in shopping based on your price compared to competitors. So there's like a lot of sophistication and a lot of like technology what goes into search. So it's in a it's in a pretty kind of like good place um, in terms of like how many brands are there and like it's very competitive for a user and a consumer. There's a lot of choice and um, yeah, I guess it's probably quite like a difficult time now to enter if you're a new brand and. Um, yeah, I guess that's like a quick top line summary of Google. And then across social, it's just in massive growth. So there's um, a third more advertisers this year than there were in 2019. So a big increase this year, uh, Facebook are expected to drive two times more revenue than 2018. So like really, really big increases. Um, and then again, across our clients, we're just seeing like a lot of brands move to social. So as, as great as Google is, it it's essentially can only pick up the demand. So if you're you're almost just waiting on consumers to kind of search for your product, search for your category, search for research terms, whereas social really gives you the opportunity to push your message out. And especially if you are a new brand um, or you're kind of like a D to C client, which we're slowly working a lot more with, a big, big opportunity is for social piece where you can push out your brand values, you can push out your brand messaging, um, you know, it's a lot more creative. You can push video out to consumers and it's just much more effective than relying, relying on a consumer search and showing a shopping ad. So um, think, um, to add to that as well, we work with a lot of brands that have historically relied a lot on wholesale that are now obviously pushing direct consumer. Um, and a lot of those companies have kind of taken budget away from traditional marketing. Or a lot of our clients we found have kind of moved budget from maybe more traditional marketing, um, more to kind of activating new audiences and doing a bit more kind of clever targeted activity via social. So I love that baseline. That's a fantastic place to start. Um, let's get tactical right away here. What is what does success look like? Is are we talking conversion rate? Are we talking actual product being purchased? How do you work with your clients? How do you determine what some what what a good outcome is? Yes, yeah, great question. So, so I guess it's all um, essentially relative to what the brand are doing as well. So if if you've got kind of like a really good profit margin, you'll obviously accept a lower ROI than brands and like multi-brand retailers working on pretty tight margins. Um, but just for like listeners who are looking to benchmark like where their performance is, I guess at a top level, CPMs, CPCs, and CTR are metrics which are going to be pretty consistent across the board. So I guess if you're running Facebook activity, for example, if you're achieving a one and a half percent CTR or above, you're probably in a good position. You know, like you've got people who are engaging with your content, um, especially if that's reaching new customers and you're achieving kind of that level, that's quite good. Um, likewise, like CPCs in social are a pretty good benchmark. Um, so we work with quite a, a few US clients and kind of like looking at industry stats in general. I think if your CPCs are around 70 cents to a dollar, you're in a pretty good position. And um, and then as I mentioned, like it's all going to be relative to the, the brand, but at a top line, if you're, say you're measuring how effective Google is, you can always just benchmark the conversion rate against your direct channel. So people who are going direct to the website, 
Uh, they've obviously been on the brand's like store before that they're aware of what they're looking to buy. If your Google search is kind of in line with that, you're going to be in a pretty good place. Um, and then likewise of social, you can kind of benchmark against um, how your site performs in general. And I guess um, on top of that, Josh, in terms of like measuring activity, like the majority of the time we're probably focusing on dependent on the attribution model, like net ROI and then, um, but increasingly maybe a bit more on brand awareness. Yeah, so, so that's, a, that's a really interesting point. So on the, so like most of our clients, we're focusing on like net new customer acquisition and um, like a big focus for us over the last year or so has been like looking at kind of that attribution and um, as like, Facebook have got a lot of tools now to measure the value which Facebook is driving. So there's like an incrementality test, which essentially runs a control and exposed experiment to serve ads to certain people and not to others. And it looks at the uplift, uh, which is like a really smart way to understand how well Facebook's performing for you. Uh, there's brand recall studies. So essentially it'll serve your creative to users, uh, follow up within a week around if they saw an advert for your brand and it looks at the recall and that's a good way to kind of benchmark if your creative is as good as other brands and um and yeah we do like a lot of focus on the attribution piece so like another example of what you could do you can upload new customer email data and then map that back to campaigns and then you can essentially say of 100 new customers we got last week 20 percent of them were served the facebook ad and then you know that your targeting's going to be in a pretty good, solid position. But yeah, so everything Facebook's done in the last couple of years around measurement is trying to prove its value and like help advertisers understand what Facebook's doing. But, um, but yeah, big focus for us is that net new customer number and then attributing that back to media spend. And one last point I'd make, just purely because um, we're obviously on this podcast review, recharging, we have a few um, clients, paid media clients that uh, do subscriptions. Um, customer lifetime value has become quite a big part, not just for those subscription customers, but particularly when working with subscription customers, kind of like estimating that customer lifetime value and kind of assessing what a good ROI looks like beyond just the first purchase. I almost can't even dig into all of that stuff that you just described. <laughs> There's so much going on there, but ton of value. I really appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I do want to dig in on is one of the stats you gave. Um, and I'm going to put you guys on the spot here and see what you think about this, but uh, there's been a bunch of news over the last handful of months, maybe even up to a year, that some of these massive companies, um, the Googles, the Amazons, the Ebays, they're kind of scaling back some of this paid advertising because they're seeing that some of it just doesn't work. Uh, the number that you mentioned was the 1.5%. I think it was click-through rate. Um, how How is that? I mean, 1.5, if you just like toss out that general number, that seems low. How do you, how do you kind of evaluate if 1.5 is a success? Um, and how do you take into account these companies like eBay who are essentially like, you know what, we're just going to skip out on that. 1.5 is not enough for us. Where, where's the value there? Yeah, so yeah, great point. So I guess... Um, like if you look back over summer and kind of like post COVID lockdowns, uh, the response from some of these big players, especially on from a search perspective, there was a big drop. So Amazon probably most famously between, I think it was April and August almost, like their impression share dropped and essentially they compete with in, across so many different categories, so many different brands. Um, but it did kind of like, you know, as Amazon pull back media spend, it lowers CPCs, it does increase CTRs of clients. Um, but one thing I would say is, although Amazon is such a big player in the search space, on Google Shopping, uh, the way that it works, you at any one time, you're probably competing with 50 brands. 
So to have one brand leave that auction, um, there's still kind of like a lot of demand, a lot of competition fighting for that click. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that we saw like massive uplifts in the periods where Amazon pulled back. I think if you are if you're selling electronics or something where Amazon's got a good offering, uh, you know you probably did see a good uplift. But for a lot of our brands, it was kind of like a slight reduction in CPCs and not too much for change. And then eBay followed a similar trend, but but again they kind of like since September, um, at least from a search perspective in the US, have kind of like re picked up where they were. And um, both brands year on year for January, for example, were pretty much as aggressive as they were. Um, in 2020, at least from like an impression share point of view. Um, obviously, we can't get the exact cost metrics, but yeah, in terms of like how often they appear, it looks pretty in line. Um, and then across social, social, I guess, yeah, a lot of it's just benchmarking. Like if you can understand how well your ads drive engagement versus other brands, there's a lot of like industry publications that share, you know, like the 2021 uh, industry CTRs. And I think if you can make sure you're exceeding that, maybe run some of these brand uplift studies to make sure that you're driving additional value. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of a good way to measure what you're doing. I think industry ben benchmarks is an important point to make here. Um, we've talked a little bit about it at Recharge about how like benchmarks are a ton of fun to look at and, and see kind of what the rest of people are doing. Ultimately, as long as you are working on what you did yesterday and trying to beat what you did yesterday as an internal team, that's what's most important. But benchmarks are significantly important. It's really great to look at these numbers and say, here's the industry as a whole. Here's what these guys are doing. So good numbers to watch for. But as long as you're beating your yesterday, that's what where the real value yes. is. That's a great point. And I guess, for example, say for social, if you're targeting remarketing, so people who have visited your website before and then brand new customers, if your engagement rate is not far off new customers to existing, you're probably going to be in a good place as well. And, um, you know, you can kind of benchmark within your own activity. And yeah, as you mentioned, kind of always looking to improve it month for month, just going to put you in a good place. Yep, spot on. Definitely agreed there. Um, so, so let's go without giving away your secret sauce. How, what were some sort of best practices you can offer for maybe like a, like a smaller brand who's just starting or a larger brand who's looking to kind of scale that paid social paid media spend? Um, I, I think you mentioned looking into Pinterest, looking into TikTok as kind of new avenues. I'm sure you'll dig into that. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, um, I guess at a top level, if we start with paid social, for example, um, essentially like a, a big focus for us. So if, imagining the marketing funnel and kind of like starting from the bottom up, um, looking at your existing customers and any kind of first party data. So essentially you want to build out effective segments of, um, of users you've already got data on. So a big one for us is building a segment of your VIP customers. Like you definitely want to be kind of retargeting them via social. You want to be pushing out new collections you want to be pushing out kind of interesting content. So as opposed to just purely product-led imagery, you also want to be telling them about the brand. You want to be reinforcing why they buy from you. Um, obviously, you know, if you've got the data on people who uh, purchase regularly but don't subscribe, you know, that's going to be a prime audience of someone you can kind of like push that message to. Um, again, within the CRM piece, there's a lot you can do around um, like upselling. So selling products based on what they've purchased before. Um, also in the CRM piece, like a huge one for us is lapsed customers. So, you know, people who have purchased in the last four years, um, but just haven't been on the website in the last year, you know, they, they no longer open emails. That's kind of like a great audience to reach out to from a social perspective. Um, and, you know, I'd say almost like your social 
uh, remarketing strategy could almost follow what you do on email in terms of like the workflows um, and the way that you kind of like cross sell different products. And then what one, and I guess, I guess that's all going to be kind of like, you know, existing customers. And then the way that brands will grow is all via the new kind of net new customer uh, growth and kind of brand new customer acquisition. And I guess there's a quite a few key strategies we always recommend. So a big one for us, so uh, Google, uh, sorry, Facebook obviously have the lookalike uh, targeting functionality. And, and what you would do there is you would use that VIP list that I just mentioned, you would pass that into Facebook. And every three days, Facebook builds a audience of consumers who share the most similar characteristics. And normally those lists work pretty well. So we, we would build out a, a lookalike list of our VIPs, a lookalike list of recent customers, um, you know, like a lookalike list of anyone who's purchased in the last year. And then you can scale those lists by percentage. So and the, the smallest percentage would be 1% of the Facebook audience. And then you can scale that up to 10%. So a really effective approach for scaling paid social is essentially just scaling that percentage benchmark in lookalikes. And, um, and that's a, a really good tactic. And then once you've gone beyond kind of like the lookalike targeting, the most interesting piece of Facebook is the like interest targeting and, a set, and what you would probably refer to as prospecting. And, um, and you imagine like Facebook's one of the most targeted platforms or probably is the most targeted platform in the world. You can target someone if they are pregnant, uh, you know, if what, what postcode they live in, what school they went to, what job, where they work, you know, it's highly, highly targeted. And um, for brands, that just gives you a great opportunity to reach your potential customers. And I guess in terms of an actual tangible recommendation, what, what that would be would be like targeting your competitor brands would be a pretty good um, place to start in terms of that prospecting piece. Uh, there's a Facebook tool called Audience Insights. And essentially, you drop in your Facebook page and Facebook show you all of the characteristics and behaviors of the people who like your page. So it'd show you kind of what where they work, what other pages they like, uh, how old they are, um, what, what, what behaviors they've got. And then essentially, you would build out different personas from there. So if you've got, say, Facebook recommends 100 interests, you would group 30 into one category. So one might be eco, you know, they're all sustainable, they're all eco warriors. Uh, one might be kind of like a group of, you know, fashionistas, people who are interested in luxury brands, and then you would serve them content relative to what they're interested in. So, you know, you would serve green messaging um, to the people interested in like uh, environmental, uh, you know, factors, and then you would serve kind of like more of the product-led messaging to, to kind of the, the people interested in fashion. Um, so that's a pretty good place to start. And then obviously as, as lots of other places to get data to build prospecting lists, so like GA, now gives pretty good audience um, insights, um, dependent on what CRM you're using. That will obviously pull out different interests. But yeah, so essentially, that's a really quick summary, hopefully, of social. But you know, starting from the bottom, you would have like a really good segmentation of remarketing. Lookalikes, you just want to keep expanding until essentially the efficiency drops off. And, and as you do scale lookalikes, you can still segment. So you might want to treat female lookalikes different to male um, in terms of like what messaging you use and what creative you push. And then on the prospecting front, yeah, just like targeting competitors is a bit of a um, like a, a no-brainer in terms of new customer acquisition. And then also looking at kind of the interests what Facebook recommend. And then also who you considered your target audience to be. You know, like we always allocate test budget into reaching new audiences. And, um, you know, I think that's a big part of growing 
is essentially kind of like trying to identify who new customers might be. Um, and like a good example for us, we work with a pretty quickly or fastly growing alcohol brand in the UK. And uh, one of their best audiences is like gym buffs or like gym enthusiasts, which seems, you know, quite backward. Um, but whilst we're in lockdown, it's just been a huge audience. And yeah, I think um, just testing is probably like a, a big feature of that. I feel like I've rambled on. Have you got anything to add, Paul? Quite, yeah. quite a long answer, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And that's probably all of our secrets as well. Probably all of our secrets to our hair. <laughs> no, that was that was awesome. Paul, do you want to add anything in there? I don't have to still time, sir. <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. I think um, ultimately, yeah, I think it's just a case of, you know, getting the most of your budget and like focusing on the activity that gives you the highest ROI initially and then scaling beyond that. I do think, you know, that prospecting piece or um, kind of activating new audiences and kind of generally br- kind of com- combining brand awareness with that net new acquisition via social um, has is like where people are allocating a lot of budget now. And historically, it was kind of a bit smoke, smoke and mirrors. The attribution was a bit woolly. No one really understood it, whereas I feel like it's kind of matured a lot now from there. And yeah, that's kind of the big one, isn't it? Definitely. The platforms have come a long way in terms of what they can do and how they can target and all those kind of things. Um, one thing that I want to double down on that I, I know you mentioned, but from a marketing standpoint, because that's where I live and breathe every day, um, delivering content and delivering things outside of just product sales, outside of, hey, buy our product, um, that goes such a long way just from a psychological perspective. Um, so instead of you know, consistently delivering buyer product. Here's why you need it. Here's why it's awesome. Yeah. Um, delivering just just value that may not get you an ROI in terms of a sale, um, but that stuff peppered in with how to how to use your products and what it's good for. And like you said, the eco stuff is it all that kind of stuff goes a long way. If you um, as as a Facebook tool um, which shows you uh, the adverts which different brands push out, and if you look at Patagonia's adverts. It's just pages and pages of all of our CSR initiatives. And, you know, it's nothing about the product. It's just purely around yeah. different initiatives they're involved in, um, you know, different kind of like sustainable resources they're using. And, um, and over lockdown, there was loads of examples of brands, you know, like giving like examples of like how to do a quicker 5K, like lots of people got into running. There's lots of articles around you know, like mindfulness when we're working from home and um, like a lot of sports brands got into that. And I think that's, you know, key in terms of building like a relationship with your customers. And um, yeah, very different to just, you know, shop now um, and like order this video today. I think that that content piece is massive. And I think some of the other topics we'll go on to discuss, um, engagements become like massive for a lot of brands and kind of, you know, re-engaging customers all the time, regardless of whether they're coming back to the site to buy. And I think Patagonia is probably one of the best examples of kind of on-site CRM um, advertising, uh, just kind of having that constant focus on engagement, which I think is a big trend as well in the kind of D2C brand space as well. Yep, I think you're spot on. Another one over here in the US that a lot of people have have dug into is social justice. There's a lot of things going on right now in the United States. Um, yeah. So the the key, obviously, is you have to be authentic. We could do an entire other podcast episode about being authentic yeah. and you know not filling your customers' minds with a bunch of just crap that you're trying to throw out there to make some money. But um, as long as you're authentic, I think it, it definitely comes across really well. But Paul, you mentioned um, one of the the other things we're planning on digging into is is uh, CRM. So shifting gears a little bit on here. Um, what is what does a healthy CRM integration look like for a merchant? How how should that be managed day to day? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, it differs depending on kind of technology stack and product and everything else. But realistically, I think a good integration from a bare minimum um, should uh, essentially just have a good constant flow of clean data and the right data points. So on-site tracking on-site activity is really important. So the fundamentals need to be there from a kind of on-site behavioral perspective. Um, all purchase data, returns data, all of that kind of stuff from the e-com platform. And then beyond that for multi-channel brands and retailers uh, I think POS data is really important as well and as much data you can pull out from those kind of physical store customers um, and then we're, from an on-site perspective I think really like most of our clients would be using like custom events as well to track um, even things like logging in um, you know the um, kind of attributes of different products being interacted with um, things like wish list all of that kind of stuff um, so I think that's kind of usually a good opportunity. And then beyond that, particularly if you're working with one of the SaaS platforms, um, kind of pulling in data from third-party vendors can be really beneficial. So for example, uh, Gorgeous, like interaction with the customer service platform and team, um, search um, technology providers, personalization engines, all of that kind of stuff. So any kind of data you can get on a customer really and just pulling that in against a profile that kind of then allows you to kind of um, personalize and segment better and kind of build flows more effectively. Did you say gangster profile? No, I don't think so. Um, customer profile, I think I said. Uh, <laughs> what did you think I said, Josh? I don't know. I think customer, hopefully. Customer, hopefully customer, but yeah, it could be, could be a gangster as well. I have, I have a British <laughs> accent, this jumbled thing that goes on in my head. Occasionally I hear random words. So, so just, want, just wanted to clarify that customer profile. <laughs> um, cool. So, so we're kind of tying this together now. So we were talking about taking customer data you have and using that to create audiences for to prospect for new customers. This is just the piece before that is is gathering as much of that data as possible, making sure it's organized so you can do those things. Yeah, and I think to be honest, it's actually crazy how much the two cross it. I mean, if you if you've got a CRM platform, you know, a lot of our clients, particularly Metria in the UK, is pretty big. Clavio, um, Dot Digital, whoever else, but particularly some of the more CRM led ones that give you a lot of data against. Uh, customers across from different channels um, you know I'd say the Josh's team is in there doing as much if not more advanced segmentation than the actual CRM team half the time and I think the two actually tie in together and um, are actually like yeah pretty connected now and it's ultimately like the same piece it's just two different mediums. Cool. Um, how does how do things like content? I know we touched on that earlier, um, like campaign segmentation. You've talked a lot about how do those kind of things continue to work together between those two systems? Um, start with content. Like how do you how do you manage what content you create based on the kind of segmentation and profiles you get from the CRM? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I guess I like ultimately it's just about kind of I think the first piece of so that kind of initial piece is about kind of building the right segments to match um, your business um, and kind of building out based on interests, purchasing history, everything else. And ultimately that will kind of be constantly evolving. Um, and then I think from there, you kind of build out your activity. So combination of automated campaigns and broadcast activity. And then it's just a case of trying to build content that I guess has, um, that appeals to the audiences and maybe starting off with the kind of um, wider audience and then gradually um, improving that and kind of making it more tailored to those kind of specific groups or segments. And I think that same principle applies to paid, right, Josh, in terms of social yeah. and kind of as people progress down the funnel and things like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And the only point I was going to add as well is it's like it's really important for the internal business team to also work with the paid agency if that's kind of the relationship in place. And in terms of like, you know, the the, the business itself will have a pretty good understanding of what campaigns it's going to be launching, you know, like what messaging it wants to be pushing out to consumers. Um, whereas it's the paid team's kind of, um, you know, like challenge to really give the insight in terms of what's working, provide recommendations around like what content should be built. Um, but ideally, it'd be kind of like a mix of the, the two groups working together. And um, yeah, I think a lot of the time we see clients working in isolation, and they'll kind of build the content they think works. Uh, whereas you probably you definitely want, you know, input from the social team to rely like, you know, relay what what consumers are engaging with, what's getting the best interaction, you know, what's getting the most comments, and then that can inform the future strategy. So I'd say good communication between like all teams is pretty key there. Yeah, and I think, yeah, testing is the other thing that's really important, like all of this activity, particularly paid advertising where you're spending money on it. Um, I think, um, yeah, testing is the most important thing. Um, one thing that you said earlier, which I think is particularly important, and I think when brands do it really well, they really benefit from it, um, and it's not particularly easy, um, is that whole kind of like, I guess, it is, it is engagement, but building content into these kind of automated campaigns and flows that isn't particularly transactional. It is more about, you know, helping people get more from the product, caring for the product and i guess then you can kind of build in activity that's geared towards upsells and cross sells um but really kind of just building campaigns that people will engage with and one example i've written here um is patch plants in the uk and i think they're in the us as well but i always tell our clients to go and buy a plant because the whole flow from order confirmation to the order updates to the post delivery confirmation which comes like two seconds after it's actually at your doorstep um all the way through to like the first six months months of like product care um, is exceptional and by the end of it you can kind of see it happening like you know they're um, promoting different plant parts different fertilizers all that kind of stuff but very very subtly and the content is amazing looks amazing it's written really well like really consistent tone um, so yeah I think they're a really good example of how some of that stuff should should work Plants is a great example because it's not it's not a suitcase that just gets delivered to your front door and you know what to do with it and you're done. Plants are living, breathing, depending on where you put it and humidity yeah. and water content, all that stuff. That's exactly what I'm talking about. The kind of content you need to deliver post-purchase or even pre-purchase if it's a different product, but some yeah. sort of content to deliver to keep you moving rather than just like, great, you bought this one. What's next? What else can you buy from me? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, um, and to be honest, like just because we're on a uh, podcast with you guys I think from a subscription perspective I think this is way more important and when we have done this kind of stuff with brands that have had subscriptions I think that engagement piece particularly for people that haven't yet subscribed is massive and it's a case of you know getting people really bought into the brand whilst they're kind of using the product learning the benefits and then um, trying to kind of subtly encourage them to then subscribe and equally the same principle if someone is subscribed making sure that they feel like they're benefiting from the subscription and making sure they do benefit of it and avoiding um yeah people then ending up etc so i know cross sells and upsells you, you've touched on that a little bit i know that you two specialize in in that piece as well um that's somewhere in between this whole segmentation and in paid media and all that it kind of like overlays there um but let's dig into into some of that a little bit how do some of the ux improvements you've made um, how does that work with cross-sells and upsells? How do you start to, once you get people into the funnel, how do you kind of keep them moving, keep them going? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess I'll start with kind of, um, I think, firstly, the P the PDP generally, um, so I just start with the PDP, I think is a hugely important page. Um, I think it's really important that you're kind of, you know, positioning the product really well, um, selling the product really well, avoiding just, you know, uh, having an image, some long description, technical detail and an add to cart. Like, I think that's those days are gone. And I think a lot of the D2C brands, um, you know, people like made.com, Patch, um, yeah, various others. Um, and Allbirds is a really nice example of kind of a rich experience that kind of really sells the product and kind of uh, helps people kind of understand the product and kind of gets rid of all of the barriers that might prevent you from purchasing. Um, and I think that plus the various other kind of, you know, new features that are out there now to encourage engagement and, you know, AR is becoming a lot more accessible, et cetera. I think that's kind of part of it. So just positioning of the product is really important. And then I think once you get into the checkout, um, I think it's just important to make sure that, that whole process is seamless. You know, you're localizing the checkout field, which I think can be a barrier that a lot of people don't realize is there. Um, you know, the whole process is very simplified. I think that's a big benefit of Shopify is that kind of simplified checkout process and shop can be a part of that. Um, and then I think in terms of that kind of upsell, cross-sell piece, something that we have been doing a lot of recently is um, essentially, I mean, it's a big trend at the moment. So the kind of cart draw, like off canvas, push cart, whatever you call it, um, lots of people have different names for it, but essentially that kind of um, cart draw and having those kind of really nicely positioned um, upsells within the cart. So if I'm buying, uh, you know, uh, coffee and then upselling kind of specific ingredients that, you know, people often put in their coffee or we've got a brand at the minute we're working with who sell alcohol um, and with specific products we're um, upselling the mixers or we're upselling glasses or we're upselling cocktail making equipment and it's all rule based and I think um, you know again that's something that is proven to work really well and a lot of the D2C brands do particularly well. Natrieve is a really nice example and the technology that we've been using a lot recently for that kind of car and checkout upsell um, is uh, Rebuy with Shopify um, and they've got a really nice example. We weren't involved with it, but it's a really nice example, which is um, Cattle and Fire. And I think that's like really nicely done as well. And then they've got another example, actually, that again, just because we're on this podcast, I'll talk about um, that I want to copy for a load of our customers is um, so they have a one-click subscription upsell within the uh, cart drawer and then also within the checkout, which works really nicely. Um, and that's on, so the best example is on a site called Primal Kitchen. And it's just really seamless. And if there's configuration options, there's just a really nice, easy to use dropdown, works really well on mobile. Um, but yeah, I think that's um, that can work really well. We're big fans of Primal Kitchen and Kettle and Fire, uh, both in my household and interest in recharge in general. We're we're huge fans. Um, why why is the one click up? So I mean, it kind of goes without saying. It's I guess a stupid question, but why is it one click? Um, kind of goes back to the whole idea of being seamless. Why why is it one click that's such a huge deal? Just going from okay, great, we know you want this product. Now yeah. just get it to subscription, or now here you can add this other product, or now we can upsell you onto this. Why is it so important to make it super seamless and quick? I think it's just, you know, removing the friction, isn't it? And just like, you know, giving people the chance to make a quick decision. I think alongside it, if you're positioning it nicely and explaining the benefits like Primal Kitchen, I think, um, you know, really pushes the saving that you can get from it um, and just making it really easy. And essentially that principle applies to most things in e-com, which is, you know, you should just make things really simple, especially for when there's kind of already a certain level of 
interest or intent. Um, it's just making it super simple for someone to, you know, add another item or, you know, um, sign up to a um, subscription. And I think the same principle applies to the um, the other upsells within that cart draw because you don't want to have to push someone back to a PDP for them to then, you know, consider other aspects of the purchase or kind of go through that same process. You want them to be able to simply add an accompanying item to the basket. So I'll lob this last question right over to you, Josh. How does all of this circle back and tie into this whole idea of, of paid search, um, taking the whole cycle from top to bottom, front to back and creating a whole unified loop? Yeah, so I guess um, in terms of a paid search perspective, um, as Paul mentioned, like driving traffic to a PDP um, and like removing kind of the journey through the homepage and kind of um, like category pages, if you can have a pretty good search build and have it really granular and targeting product-specific terms, you can link people direct to the PDP. And that's going to be probably like one of the quickest ways to um, you know, as Paul mentioned, like remove the friction um, and essentially, you know, have the, the buy button on that page. Um, that's going to be quite effective in terms of the ad copy, you know, like really relating that to a user's query. And all of that stems back to like what Google's about. And it's essentially just serving relevant ads to based on a user's query. And it's still kind of best practice to have a really, really well built out account, you know, with hundreds of or tens of thousands of keywords all, all related to what users are searching and then just making sure they go through to the most relevant page and then where possible, it would obviously be a PDP. Um, you know, sometimes it might be a PLP for broader category terms. It might be the homepage. Um, but yeah, from a search perspective, you just want to make sure that search account is kind of, uh, you know, like really built out, quite granular, very segmented, all relevant. And then from a shopping perspective, um, obviously all traffic from shopping goes direct to the PDP. So it's a lot more around kind of there's a lot of factors there, but you know, you want to make sure you've got the inventory um, like available in terms of like what you're pushing there, um, making sure you're appearing on kind of like the most specific keywords. Um, so yeah, from a search perspective, it's just more around the general best practice. And if that's the case and you're taking through people to the right places, then um, yeah, it should kind of like convert quite effectively. And I think the other thing that paid, people doing paid need to think about as well is, the, is that landing page piece. Like it's really easy to just send people to the most um, related or the closest landing page. But really, you particularly if you're spending a lot of money or you're allocating a lot of money to different um, channels, I think it's really important to really think about the landing page for the different levels of the funnel and the different types of users. And um, yeah, and it, I mean, and if you don't have that that level of control over content, I think another thing that we've been doing. A Bit of recently is kind of um, having almost like channel or segment specific messaging like via a personalization solution so um, for some of our clients via Google Shopping we'll promote the concept of price match for example or it could be that if it's um, you know people that have been on the site a few times before you kind of add different messaging to kind of push the um, them to then convert by that message but just I think anything you can do to kind of make that landing page more relevant and again more seamless um, and easy for people to go on to buy um, yeah the more you're going to get from your spend Awesome. Rarely do we get to come full circle on these episodes where we can start with paid search and move to CRM health and move to UX activity and then tie it all the way back into the whole loop. <laughs> um, lightning round, last couple of questions for you guys. Um, what advice would you give to a subscription brand who's just starting, who's trying to get off the ground? Uh, yeah, so I can, um, I can start this one. So I think, um, 
I've talked about it all the way along, but I think that kind of it's important to get your kind of brand. And I feel like I've gradually got more like um, woolly with some of this stuff as I've been working more with some of these type, some of these newer brands. But I think, you know, really telling the brand story is really important. Like I was having a conversation with one of our new clients recently, which is a company called Kalenio. And, um, you know, they've got a really cool product and it's um, non-alcoholic spirits, essentially. But you look at the site and it is, it's really nicely positioned. Their branding is really nice, but they don't really tell a lot of the story and like, you know, how the product came about, how the flavors came about. And I think, you know, that's really important. Again, particularly if you're kind of paying for traffic, which you probably need to as a new customer to kind of grow. Um, yeah, I think that and kind of engaging content and, you know, creating a really solid brand experience is, um, is really important. Um, I think a pretty like simple technical tactic as well in terms of the like what CRM dates available you want to be pushing out messages to people when they're likely to be um, like rebuying so if you've got if you know that an average um, like product life cycle is 30 days um, and someone purchased 25 days ago you know that's when you want to be starting to retarget them via social and um, as Paul mentioned I think for subscription you're, you're probably going to be in a market where there's a lot of players and a lot of competition where it is more the branding piece, what, what sells it for you. And, um, you know, like using your CRM data to make sure you're outreaching all of your customers with good content and, um, and good messaging. And it'll be more around like the brand values, the brand philosophy and that sort of the stuff you want to, um, yeah, the stuff you want to be pushing to customers. How about the other end of the spectrum? What advice do you give for brands who are already big and just looking to continue scaling and kind of take that next step past whatever plateau they're facing? So, so I get from a paid perspective, there's like a lot you can do. So just touching on sort of what I mentioned earlier with like the, the lookalike stacking um, in terms of growing audiences, that's like a pretty good quick way to scale. Um, across Google Shopping, you want to be like optimizing your product feed. So um, essentially like adding in terms into your shopping feed, which users are searching for. So it might be that you add more subscription-based terms into your feed so that you're more likely to rank for those queries. Um, a lot of our clients that do do subscription, as Paul mentioned, like personalizing from if the traffic comes from paid. And, uh, you know, you might default the subscription product when they're on the PDP, um, you know, promoting so it's like 10% cheaper. Um, or something like that. So there's a lot of tactics there. And then in terms of scaling, yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, the biggest thing what we've slowly touched on, but is testing. And, um, you know, across social, you want to have like a really strong testing plan in place. So like you really want to understand does UGC outperform product imagery or campaign imagery or video about the brand? You know, like they're the, the questions you want to be answering pretty quickly. And, um, and, you know, the, the more that you spend, the quicker you learn. And um, essentially, that does help you scale just by identifying areas that work. Lots of test audiences, as I mentioned. Um, and, you know, kind of once you refine from there, um, you're, you're kind of in a good position to grow. But, yeah, that's probably like the, the quickest paid answer. I'm not sure if Paul's going to fit on the, on the actual UX point. No, I think, um, I think yeah, this, this game, and obviously, like you would have, I guess it's the same thing, really, isn't it? It's like continuing to test, try and obviously increase conversion rate and OV, being the two big uh, on-site um, 
kind of metrics that you probably pay attention to the most. And then that whole same engagement piece, I think as you grow, you just need to, it's really important um, to make your site more engaging, you know, particularly now that people are spending less time in physical retail stores, that whole brand experience piece. And I think historically, like pre-pandemic, it was the D2C brand that were really doing this. Um, and they had kind of almost this kind of, um, system of like you know building a really engaging experience and just throwing paid traffic at it and now I feel like a lot of the traditional brands are starting to apply some of those principles and you know we we have a lot of like premium legacy um, like older premium brands that we work with um, and historically you know they've been very careful with some of this stuff whereas now they're you know they know they need to be replicating some of those kind of D2C brands that are really growing and there's almost like an expectation that you know brands should be applying some of this stuff now yeah absolutely final question for you both what do you subscribe to what physical products do you guys get monthly quarterly whatever it is yeah, so I'll start because I'm not sure that Josh subscribes to anything. Um, but so I subscribe to cat food uh, for my cat. I subscribe to hair product. And then I also subscribe to the This Works Sleep Spray, which came as a result of me doing lots of testing when they launched recently on Shopify with Recharge. Um, and I'm still a subscriber and I still get it every month. And it lasts about three months, I think, the bottle. So uh, I've got a pretty big backlog of it. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm yet to subscribe to anything. So I think now we're in lockdown. Um, I'm pretty close to subscribing to coffee, but I, I ordered um, ordered some recently, which Paul recommended, and um, it's not turned up after like two months. So uh, I won't be subscribing to them. But, um, but yeah, I think probably coffee. And then I think in future, it's obviously becoming more and more um, popular and it does make a lot of sense. I think uh, over time, I'll be subscribing to much more. Coffee's a must. Can't go, can't go days without that. You need that every every single morning waking up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Paul and Josh, thank you guys so much for joining. Really appreciate having you here. No, yeah, thanks yeah, so thank much We want to thank Paul and Josh once again for joining us. If you're interested in Vervant, you can head over to vervant.com. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from.